Welcome to the Revdem podcast. Uh, we are honored to host today Professor Dmitry Vladimirovich Kochenov, who leads the Rule of Law Work Group at the CEU Democracy Institute and teaches at the CEU Department of, of Legal Studies. His research focuses on the principles of law in the global context with a special emphasis on the rule of law, citizenship and the enforcement of EU values. Actually, I said that we are hosting uh, Dimitri, but in reality, he's yes, hosting, who is hosting he, whom? He is hosting, he's hosting us because we, we are at the Democracy Institute in Budapest where, where Dimitri is a professor. It's a honor nevertheless. We are, we are really grateful that, that, that you agreed to join us. I will not present your whole publication list because it's almost uh, infinite. Uh, therefore, I, I'll mention your two monographs, if possible. The first one, which is interesting because it criticized the rule of law and democracy promotion by the EU in Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, an important topic today, uh, but but it was published uh, in 2008. Uh, the failure of conditionality. Failure of conditionality, exactly. EU enlargement and the failure of conditionality. Uh, nobody talked, not that many people talked about it, this uh, then. Uh, well, many people even left the room when I presented it, saying that I'm anti-European and possibly a Putin spy, <laughs> uh, because I, I don't welcome enlargement. In fact, I did welcome enlargement, but uh, there were plenty of flaws in the way how the enlargement was organized mm -hmm. on the EU side. And but we see the consequences now. They be, they, that's what I wanted to say. They, they became uh, much more apparent uh, later. Your uh, other monograph, uh, Citizenship, uh, will be the main subject of our, of our conversation today. Uh, but just I may only mention that before returning to, to see you, I use I, I say returning because uh, you completed your PhD here. No, I did my master's. Masters, masters, exactly. Sorry, which was masters. Uh, which was as important as far Ju as I'm concerned. It was the masters, best day, the best year of my life. Okay. Of course, in terms of uh, academic engagement. And uh, you were also a professor at, at Groningen, the University of Groningen, before before exactly. coming here. Uh, you held uh, a, a lot of visiting appointments in, in numerous places, uh, uh, including Princeton, Oxford, NYU uh, uh, Law School. I will not uh, present the whole list because it would, it would take uh, all of our time. Today, we, as I said, we, we will talk about your book on, on citizenship, or it could be probably called uh, A Treatise Against Citizenship, published uh, by the MIT Press in 2019. tells a, a story of citizenship, not as a, as a tale that is, that is probably much more popular, of liberation, dignity, uh, and nationhood, but uh, your story is a story of complacency, hypocrisy, and uh, and domination. That's the back flap. So the, I'm not the author of this of this little text, but, but I'm grateful to MIT for for compiling it. It, it reflects the essence of the. Book. If if you could start from the from the basics, so why why you think citizenship is such a flawed concept? Well, uh, if we look at citizenship at the nation level or the level of a of a state then it's it's perfect it's uh, it, it's ideally suited to meet the all the liberal democratic institutional aims uh, it's a superb tool in order to to make sure that everybody's engaged that that the law applies equally to everybody and that in fact uh, our democracies function as described but then once you move one level up and we, you look at the world from uh, from the perspective of 2 5 uh, 100 200 states and territories, then all these gains that we that we book uh, to the to the term of citizenship, they disappear. Uh, because uh, because as citizenship functions today, it's basically a, a tool to, to instill uh, absolute inequality between the possessors of different statuses under the guise precisely 
of the promotion of democratic inclusion, liberation, and uh, and fairness. And it works in such a way because uh, because once you are assigned by any authority to to any kind of state via the distribution of this of this status and this the status is distributed at random of course uh, it's not based on your will it's not based on your identity it's not based on anything else but your blood uh, citizenship at the international level comes down to uh, the perpetuation of of the ideas of aristocracy which the same status precisely uh, fights against at the at the level of of each nation state since uh, since the inception since the French Revolution pretty much, uh, so how does it work? Uh, since uh, ideally the world is presented in in any textbook in political science and uh, in, in international law is a world inhabited by equal states. This principle of equality of states uh, get also extrapolated on citizenship. Which means that uh, as a Dutchman, uh, I, I enjoy as glorious a status as someone who is Pakistani, as someone who is Hungarian, as someone who is American. And normally we don't compare. We say, let's look at the national context. But once we start comparing, and this is an important chunk of my work over, over the last 10 years, uh, we actually discover that while, the, while some citizenships come with rights, the absolute majority of them are uh, desperate liabilities, and they they don't actually they don't actually help. So Sorry. so what so what we see is that uh, a handful of citizenships, usually the citizenship of former uh, citizenships of former colonizer nations, uh, the 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 so-called West, emerges the super citizenships of the world, which which give uh, certainly very important rights to to those who possess them, to those who are granted them, and all the rest. Uh, the citizenships of four-fifths of the population of the world are beat to liabilities rather than the, the depositories, uh, depositories of rights, which means that as long as we uphold the story of citizenship as a story precisely of liberation, dignity, and, and, and whatever else is connected to it in, 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 in the popular understanding, we also uphold bringing down those four-fifths of the world, of the world population, who were not lucky enough uh, to quote Ayat Shakar with her uh, with her birthright lottery, who were not lucky enough to be born in the right places or to the right uh, to the right parents. And then, what does it mean? For, what does it mean to us? It means that, in fact, any story that looks at citizenship benevolently is also a story that replicates neo-feudal bloodline-based aristocratic understanding of stratifying human societies uh, without any kind of critical idea about what the implications of that are uh, for all the inhabitants of the world. And, uh, and this is exactly the problem with citizenship. So then uh, to sum it up, uh, from the tool of equality and liberation, as citizenship was conceived at the times of French Revolution, citizenship evolved into becoming precisely the opposite, the tool of uh, sub mass subjugation and irrational uh, putting down of the majority of the world population in the name of precisely those those ideals which citizenship now uh, is, is busy, very busy destroying at the global level. And, and probably the last point, and uh, this, is, this is, I think, absolutely clear uh, to everybody once we look at citizenship from the global perspective, uh, citizenship, when regarded globally, 
when your rights depend on your blood and nothing else, and when your place in the world, uh, the, your, the opportunities you have, the likelihood of any particular career, the worth of your time and the length of your life, everything is determined by your blood and your blood only, this is precisely what all the national constitutions of the liberal democracies today preach to have abolished. Which means that uh, when regarded globally, uh, the concept of citizenship will never pass the basic constitutional, constitutional vetting in any of the countries of the world taken individually. It will be something absolutely repugnant to all the ideals in the, in the name of which the French Republic exists. It will be absolutely repugnant and unacceptable for the Germans and for the idea of dignity. It will be absolutely out of question for Americans. Uh, and, and, and you can continue this list. So from something great, citizenship evolved uh, into something absolutely horrible and unacceptable. And uh, so, so if, if we accept your line of reasoning, what would be the what should be the political consequence of, of, of it? Uh, should it be a, a, a deep reform of the of the of the concept uh, or should it be abolishing of it? Well, uh, abolition is also a deep reform. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, the, to, to start with, we need to ask ourselves the question, do we believe in the ideals that citizenship is deemed to be promoting? The ideas of basic equality, the ideas of uh, respecting, uh, respecting the, the individual dignity of all those who, who receive their status at birth, and the idea that, uh, that uh, humanity, especially now in the world of human rights, is something that counts more than uh, aristocratic or caste-based caste based, uh, birthright stratifications. Uh, if we answer this question in the negative, and if we say, well, actually, who your parents are is much more important, uh, whether you should be entitled to rights, or what kind of, or, or in terms of ask, asking the question, what kind of duties you should be, uh, you should be asked to perform, then well, we should uh, we should stop here. Uh, because this is exactly how citizenship works. The trouble is that at the national level, once again, the answer to this question which I, which, which I have just asked is unquestionably clear. There is no debate about how to answer this question. Uh, in, in modern world, uh, aristocracies and unjustified distribution of liabilities is something that is deemed absolutely, absolutely unacceptable, no matter what, uh, in, in any uh, no. decent national constitution. So the, so the question is, uh, how come uh, are we ready? Well, what makes us ready uh, to, to accept without questioning at the, at the international level something that is an absolutely no-go, a totally non-cautial, a non-cautial and, uh, and an absolutely unacceptable concept at the level of our own constitutional state? And uh, the, 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 to me, uh, as, uh, an, as a believer in liberal democracy and precisely as a believer in the, in, in the modern constitutional ideas, uh, uh, ideals even, the, 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 the answer to this question is, is crystal clear. Uh, citizenship, uh, uh, the, citizenship simply doesn't have a place in the modern world because it's a blood-based justification for bringing, for bringing people down. Uh, we should we should move on from here. And when uh, when when I uh, suggest that it probably should be abolished, 
I, uh, I, I wrote a small piece for Icon entitled uh, Ending Passport Apartheid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, th- there was a lot of uh, angry reaction from all kinds of quarters. Uh, people were writing basically hate mail to me saying you don't believe in democracy. And yes, I don't believe in blood-based democracy uh, in, this, in the sense that uh, all our democratic ideals are uh, mobilized in order to justify to to those who get a second-rate kind of status and the second-rate set of, well, in fact, the set of liabilities instead of set of rights, why they should not be entitled uh, to better hope, to better future, and precisely to all the constitutional ideals which we ourselves hold sacred in, 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 in our container societies in our member states. To me, there is, uh, there is a very simple answer to this question. And in, in, in historically, we had plenty of precedents of uh, how these kind of difficult questions were, uh, were answered. So uh, the fight against citizenship can be compared to a fight against slavery. Uh, you, you don't need to convince the slave owners that, uh, that, that slavery is say, something bad. Well, you need in practice, but, but the slaves already know it. So if you, if you speak with, with those who have third-rate or fourth-rate, uh, absolutely despicable, uh, despicably low-quality uh, citizenship statuses, which do not allow them to realize themselves in any way in the world, they already know that they're second-rate. Uh, you are not bringing any news to them uh, by saying that actually, in fact, the Central African passport is, is, is not to be compared with the, with the passport of the French Republic. This will only be something that is news to the French, because the French think about the preservation of their aristocratic uh, booster in terms of rights in the world. And, well, when you abolish aristocracy, someone will have to, someone will have to share and someone will have to yield, uh, which means that obviously uh, in the Western literatures, uh, you don't frequently find the perspective which, uh, which I adopt in my little book. Mm-hmm. And, and could I ask you about the the, the consequences of, of of your idea for the for the idea of of state? Because of course this, 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 this is crucial. Um, the idea of state is crucial for 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 citizenship. This is basically the the, the citizenship defines our relationship with with, with states. Uh, would the the idea of uh, abolishing citizenship or like a a fundamental deep reform require a, 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 a need f- to, to reform our states? Well, it, it depends on the perspective you take, because if uh, historically both starting points are rather vague and unclear. When we speak about citizenship, of course, uh, and connected to states, then, then there are plenty of problems uh, of how to define it, because historically... Citizenship was a racist and sexist concept, which was only given to white males, essentially. So if you, if you speak about the, any kind of proto-citizenship of the British Empire, it will not be a citizenship which, which we can compare to, uh, to the citizenship, say, of Hungary or of Liechtenstein today. It's something radically different because, because it was presumed, although on paper sometimes it was different, it was presumed in practice that someone whose skin pigmentation is not fair enough will not be able to make any uh, any uh, usable, utilizable claim to the rights that this status of allegiance brings. 
and there are plenty of there are plenty of examples the uh, the, 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 the 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 dominions of the British Empire, uh, which which had their own so the, the, their own ability to regulate migration, were simply were simply uh, deeply despicable racist states from from our contemporary perspective. Think about Canada. Think about South Africa. Think about Australia. This uh, the, this line can be continued. The, the U.S. is also is also one of the clear examples in the same line, uh, which means that it was your race, not your citizenship, and besides your race, it was also your sex, not your citizenship, that actually determined your place in the state and your connection with the polity, and then the and then. Uh, the question is open how citizenship was actually deployed in order to justify the status quo and to sell it to those uh, who were excluded on the basis of race, on the basis of sex, as acceptable. And, uh, and, and I propose some, uh, some ways of how to look at it uh, in, in my little book. Uh, what, is, what is absolutely clear is that the meaning of citizenship that we have today is absolutely not the same as it was 50 years ago, because at least on paper, it's less racist and it's infinitely less sexist. And then uh, going to the second part of your question, since it was about two words, it was about the word citizenship and it was about the word state. Once we once we speak about the state, it's exactly the same. States are very new. There is a there's a very beautiful uh, book that Routledge published by Paul Kiar uh, that that precisely puts it uh, puts it uh, on, under the spotlight. In the world of empires, uh, the kind of connection between the person and the and the authority was uh, something radically different compared with what we expect of a liberal democratic state today. And I say liberal and democratic because, uh, because of course, it, it works slightly differently in, in, in autocracies, theocracies, and in horrible, in, in horrible regimes. And while the connection works differently in theory, in practice, the way how the idea of the ideology of citizenship was deployed the world over, from, from Stalinist Soviet Union to the Third Reich, uh, to the to, to the uh, United States of America, to the British Empire, uh, citizenship served exactly the same function, and this is precisely something that that always uh, uh, doesn't find uh, significant or sufficient reflection in the literatures about citizenship. Somehow, uh, the understanding of citizenship and the understanding of the state which the authors of main texts, of the main texts going about citizenship from T.H. Marshall on uh, have in their mind, has no place for sexism, racism, and the empire, which means that uh, they, they basically uh, fail to, to distill the main function of citizenship. And that main function explains why citizenship is not only to be found in democracy, it's, it's, it's to be found in every single state anywhere in the world, which means that Putin's Russia has citizenship which is as strong and as flourishing as, uh, as the Myanmar junta's citizenship. Why, and, and of course, uh, the, the same applies to the French Republic. Why is that? And the answer is, uh, the answer is very simple. Citizenship is about governability and about explaining to the people uh, that, uh, that that should, they should be meek, respectful, and complacent in the context of whatever regulatory environment they happen to be born into. So in this sense, the, the, the understanding of citizenship, which is, uh, which is purely uh, feudal and which is purely, uh, purely blood-based, blood uh, plays, plays equally the same role uh, no matter what kind of a type of a polity we have in mind. 
and and this is something uh, this is something that I think is uh, is almost new to say in the context of citizenship, uh, because uh, of course uh, the, when we when we when we utter citizenship, the main justification usually is connected to democracy. Citizenship allows you to take part in elections. Citizenship allows you to to be a full member of the community. Blah blah blah. What T.H. Marshall also wrote, but in fact, democracy is a very poor justification because it, and, and the, the, there is abundant material on the percentage of working, living democracies uh, in the world under which the, a certain percentage of the world's population would li- would would would, li- would live. So the majority of the world's population. Will never live in a democracy. They have never. Uh, they have never been exposed to a democracy. There is no kind of self-government, but there is always a citizenship. And this fact that there is always a citizenship, to my mind, undermines, if not destroys, uh, any any cogent, any convincing ways of utilizing democracy as a as a just justifier for the perpetuation of this. Uh, humiliating blood-based aristocracy at the global level. Because if you're protecting democracy, while you know that the concept you need in your mind in order to protect democracy actually is is omnipresent and uh, and is very, very uh, mature and functioning well in the absolute majority of states, which are far removed from your democratic ideal, then obviously we have uh, we have plenty of inconsistencies to account for. Uh, and uh, th- this is also something that I uh, that I tried to uh, I tried to reflect in the book. Mm-hmm. So it works in practice uh, through uh, through the ideal of a good citizen. So where do we get this meekness? Where do, the, do we get this absurd submission? This idea that you were born in a democracy, will die in this democracy. Well, and this democracy happens to be Stalinist Soviet Union. That it doesn't matter what it happens to be. The only thing that matters is that. If you suggest to step out of the realm of this democracy or whatever it is in practice, uh, as understood by your authority, you will be severely punished, and you will, of course, be uh, you will, of course, be proclaimed uh, as someone who is not a good citizen, as someone who is not patriotic, as someone who does not fully belong, someone who should uh, who should be uh, somehow controlled, if not if not deprived of free speech, if not removed from the polity entirely. So in this sense, in this sense, meekness as the main uh, product of citizenship, which is which is of course uh, helped a lot by the idea of national pride, by the idea of uh, of uh, of belonging, in in the sense that we pretend not to notice that there are plenty of minorities and plenty of those who who cannot honestly share this ideal uh, is is an essential part of the concept. Mm-hmm. So y- you show you show very powerfully the the, the discrepancies between uh, one fifth of, of, of citizenships and the four fifth of, of, of citizenships. Uh, so, so, but but maybe maybe someone could ask um, if the problem lies really in the in the in the, in the very concept in its in its actual state, uh, or maybe the problem is the the quality of states uh, who of this four fifth. Uh, because because you you agree that uh, if someone is born in the U.S., you show it like in in the book in the U.S. in France in many other countries, uh, th- this might be a, a powerful uh, even equalizing tool. I would say so that that helps uh, people from like uh, of course. So if I can paraphrase your question, let them eat cake, 
Uh-huh. This is exactly what Marie Antoinette told mm-hmm. the poor peasants who were starving. Uh, and usually blaming the majority is never a good starting point. So if you believe in citizenship, you subconsciously or sometimes consciously, but then you are not honest to yourself, engage in, in majority blaming. Somehow the absolute majority of states in the world failed to produce a citizenship which is uh, similar in its quality and appeal to the citizenship of the United or, 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 States. Or, or failed to and produce a, a well-functioning state. Exactly, or the well-functioning state. Everything is, uh, everything is connected. Uh, but uh, but again the but is, is the, the reason is the reason citizenship of this <coughs> of this uh, or, or is it just a product of 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 problem of, of, of failed states I'd say citizenship is citizenship and state are not as uh, straightforwardly connected mm-hmm. as it as it might seem because uh, because of course states pretend that citizens exist in the territory and that the rest of the world. Is, uh, is is simply a terra nullus, but uh, but uh, we know that in practice this is not the case. Mm-hmm. So one of the most poisonous and one of the most unfortunate aspects of contemporary citizenship is precisely that the status is always global, mm-hmm. which means that if you are born an American, you're always an American in France, in South Africa, in Fiji, anywhere you go, and you're always treated as an American. And the same, the same applies to someone from Angola or to someone from Algeria, which means that uh, simple migration does not necessarily cure the deficiency of your legal status if you come from the wrong places. And, uh, and this is something that, of course, any kind of statist rhetoric uh, cannot possibly see. Because if you, if, if you start speaking about failed states, if you start speaking about problems elsewhere, you deny that uh, the, the, the a priori that there is a, there is a possible discrepancy uh, between the life path as imagined of a concrete person who is born in the wrong place and who might actually uh, be interested in the world as his home and why not uh, as a human being uh, compared with uh, compared with that state and what that government has in mind mm-hmm. and here the, the The picture is uh, is both uh, both short-sighted and hiddenly racist. Why? Because uh, because when we speak about uh, about the statist approach, we presume that since the status is global, uh, American will be an American in Angola, but Angolans will never be welcome in America, and American will be well will be will have the world for her play playground, uh, while all those four fifths. Uh, will stay where we are, where they are, unfortunately, in the uh, in, in 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 the horrible spaces, and then if we look at the map of where where the best rights are distributed and the best statuses that correspond to those rights and vice versa, and those spaces where the liabilities are distributed under the guise of rights, we suddenly discover that the former colonies are most uniquely in the former Soviet space as well to some extent. Are most uniquely the places where the the statuses of citizenship, which is true, which are distributed, are substandard. So these are the places where 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 you suffer as a result of what is glorified as something good in Western literature, mm-hmm. and and this this suffering is always uh, is is always unacknowledged. I have just submitted a paper uh, entitled "The Victims of Citizenship," where 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 I defend the, the basic concept of the victims of this very construct of this of this very mental approach to stratifying the population of the world 
And uh, to my mind, uh, though the majority of those victims are absolutely invisible mm-hmm. in the context of uh, citizenship discourse and citizenship analysis today. Mm-hmm. And then how does it how does it overlap with the way how uh, how empires functioned in their racist times? And here the overlap is quite clear. If you think about if you think about the British Empire, just to take one example, it could be also French, it could be also Dutch, uh, whatever whatever comes to mind. Uh, your skin color was the determinant of your rights in terms of migration, in terms of your uh, your localization, in terms of where you were allowed to settle and to live your life, and then uh, basically determining all your life chances. Uh, while your allegiance was the same. Uh, at a certain point, this empire start introducing stratified statuses. So you could be a citizen of a French Union, a Français Africain, and and then your rights will be uh, diminished compared with the white French because it's simply a proxy for race. And now decolonization comes. So we proclaim that uh, we have we have walked one hundred thousand miles, uh, mentally speaking, since the time of the empires, when uh, when racism was the core principle. Of state organization, and and you spoke about uh, one of your questions was about the glorious connection between the state and and citizenship. That was a glorious racist connection. So now racism is discarded. Officially, France is not racist anymore. Officially, the U.S. is not racist anymore. It's not anymore. It's not anymore required in order to be a good U.S. citizen that you never even think about. Uh, having sex with a person of a uh, so-called different race, or that you don't share room at night uh, with with someone who has not the same skin color as yours. So now all this is passé, and now there are plenty of equal states. If we believe in several equality of states, some of them are formerly colonized uh, places, others are former colonizers, and now start comparing the rights. Uh, which the guys in former colonies got globally based on their citizenship compared with the rights which the former colonizers got globally based on their citizenship. We come to the same equation. We come to the same starting point where, in fact, uh, presuming that there are not so many white Angolans and knowing that Angola is crap uh, in terms of uh, in terms of the kind of rights that it gets to you as a status, it's absolutely clear that the same racism, which was the main principle of imperial governance, uh, is back with us through the principle of equality of states and through the principle of the dignity of citizenship. And then any kind of statist approach, saying Angolans haven't sorted out their, uh, their troubles in Angola, ignoring the, ignoring the past in terms of the evolution of the statuses, which every single inhabitant of the world uh, inherits based on blood, and, uh, and uh, ignoring the, the main racist principle of, of, of empire building, we, 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 we come to the point when uh, it's, it's not clear to us what, what the ideal is that citizenship serves. And in fact, once you start distilling that, besides meekness, probably, citizenship also serves a racist ideal. Mm-hmm. And once citizenship serves the racist idea, there's also interesting economics behind that, especially if we look at economic history. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of Branko Milanovic's work, mm-hmm. for instance, uh, who has done a lot to explain this transformation over the last 200 years uh, when the world moved from, uh, from class inequalities predominantly to, to spatialized inequalities. So now it's not 
the kind of family you come from, which is the main determinant of your of your life, of your chances in life globally. It's the space where you're entitled to be that is that determinant. And he and he makes it absolutely clear with uh, with with all the calculations and historical data on in, on inequalities. So now it's it's actually better to be born uh, a homeless in Denmark than than a kind of uh, uh, close to king uh, in, in, in the majority of other places. If we simply presume that we can compare the, the kind of life paths mm-hmm. and projects that people from, from different, uh, different spaces can have, we know that we can, and that's why all the boats always cross the, cross the Mediterranean in one direction, not in two. So then, so then uh, if space is the core factor in determining the life chances of people, then boundary becomes the core, uh, the, the core determinant of whether we are promoting equality or uh, take the side of inequality in the world. Mm-hmm. And the main function of citizenship is the boundary function. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in this, in this context, citizenship becomes the core tool of the preservation of the inequitable structure of distribution of wealth and, and, and life chances in the world today. Mm-hmm. And as I have shown, this, uh, the, this inequitable distribution is also racist and historically sexist. And, and if I now could connect your two two areas of interest, one is, is, is of course, the idea of citizenship, the other is the, the EU law. Uh, and, of course, we have this idea of, of EU citizenship. Uh, and from, from from my personal perspective, for example, as a, as a, as a Polish citizen, of course, it, uh, you also you are author of the, of the citizen, citizen's, uh, citizenship's uh, ranking and, uh, and the, the There was a. I, I could feel it personally that you know the, a big difference uh, before and after joining the EU. So I wanted to ask if you think that the EU citizenship and the idea of the EU, EU citizenship is mitigating the negative sides uh, of of the idea that you just presented, or or the other way around. It's maybe reinforcing it and making the concept even 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 more uh, um, uh, even even worse. It's a superb question. And in fact, uh, it's it's particularly interesting because because it's both, uh, because uh, of course you you said you you felt strongly as a pole uh, the difference in terms of rights that uh, that, that 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 you uh, could derive from Polish citizenship before and after the accession to the EU. It's true, and and people immediately see it. So so we see that uh, the number of marriages between between Romanians and Italians and between Poles and Italians has fallen dramatically. Uh, uh, after the dates of accession of the two countries uh, mm-hmm. to the EU. Why? It's not any more necessary to sleep or to pretend to sleep with someone mm-hmm. in order to upgrade your situation from second-rate uh, second uh, uh, status globally to the mm-hmm. first rate because mm-hmm. you got it uh, by, virtue of, by virtue of the treaties and by virtue of the extension of rights to, mm-hmm. to Poland and Romania. Uh, so we see that there is a consciousness of, uh, conscious awareness of uh, which statuses are second rate and which statuses are first rate and what what can be derived from them in terms of rights. So citizenship of the European Union in terms of, it, it, as, as long as it uh, it equalizes the the access to rights at least potentially uh, when applied to the to the nationals of all the member states is a clear example that that all the fears that connect to 
uh, opening up the borders, opening up rights, and opening up, most importantly, the idea of non-discrimination on the basis of nationality, which is unthinkable at the national constitutional level in the absolute majority of states today, uh, is, 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 is a very important lesson to us. So uh, when, when an American lawyer tells me that the main function, uh, rightly, that the main function of the United States is, is, to, is to put Americans first, indeed, this is a, this is a main function and understanding of, of any constitutional democracy, uh, we now know, based on the EU, that uh, it's, uh, it's not necessarily unavoidable as a function and that, that we can have an equitable uh, uh, living together, organized legally and politically in such a way that bringing someone's down is not one of the core functions of your state, which means that uh, the sky hasn't fallen down on us uh, based on uh, uh, the, 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 the understanding that if uh, someone in Brussels uh, does not discriminate against, against the Hungarian and the Pole, uh, everybody's in Brussels, everybody in Brussels is worse off. This is simply not true. So the starting point of all the citizenship ideology, which presumes that the container society has to be locked in order to survive successfully, is flawed. And the EU is a great example of why that is and how it works in practice. But then there is a second side to this coin, unfortunately. And that is, rather than showing an alternative way, the, the citizenship of the European Union simply emerged precisely as that, as a citizenship. And as a citizenship, it is indefensible and it's, uh, and it's, uh, it's obscenely flawed in terms, of, in, in, in terms of the basic starting points of justice. Because if we think of uh, how EU citizenship functions in the global context, rather than offering an alternative way, once again, it's simply a replication of the super citizenship in action. So as, as a European, you, uh, you, you perpetuate the same kind of mindset uh, as, is as is perpetuated by US citizenship, for instance. And in fact, this is worse. And uh, it is worse because uh, in order to check the, the basic justness of the system, uh, usually it's necessary to look at, uh, going back to the Bible, to look at uh, how foreigners are treated in that system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you are a foreigner in New York uh, and, and you have your green card and you suddenly got a job offer in California, you can move and you're welcome and you will not be discriminated against. Because because America is a democracy, and even uh, even if it's a deeply federalized system, it still delivers on the basic uh, on the basic promise of justice, uh, which which it gives to those who are citizens or who are settled residents. <laughs> the European Union is not. Mm -hmm. So if we if we think about the EU, uh, it it's probably the only example of a relatively mature right, constitutional system mm -hmm. uh, in, in the world today, which fetishizes territorial restrictions imposed on uh, lawful non-citizen uh, non residents, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which means that if you, if you are an Indian uh, working in the IT industry in Tallinn, uh, you have zero rights and zero hope Mm -hmm. uh, notwithstanding all the promises of all these blue card directives, etc., in practice you don't have a right to uh, to call the union your home, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which means that uh, EU citizenship is radically different at the 
at the ethical and moral level from the citizenship of the United States. Because EU citizenship, uh, EU citizenship automatically and uh, irreversibly looks down at any foreigner as a non as a non comparable kind of being, uh, whose uh, whose legal situation cannot be in any way uh, measured uh, through the through the uh, principles and through the and through, and through the norms of European law, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which means that it's great to have an internal market. It's great to have uh, to have a. Uh, common living, working living space, as mm-hmm. uh, Oksana Golinker calls it, mm-hmm. uh, which applies to all EU citizens. But what is what is horrible in the EU is that all its all of its legal system and all of the principles of law, which apply to 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 the sacred cow of EU law, which is movement across the non-existent borders within the internal market, cannot possibly apply. To the third country national. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So to me, the, the, the then EU citizenship, which is a great achievement and a great illustration, stands as a repugnant example of how not to organize living together, precisely because it's a constant spitting on anyone who is deemed a foreigner. Mm-hmm. Because as a foreigner, you have zero claim to protection by the law, precisely the law that has made the European mm-hmm, citizen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And here, the the difference, the, the discrepancy between 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 EU law on the one side and Indian, Brazilian, Russian, uh, American law, Mexican law on the other, is is huge, and it's not in the favor it's not in the favor of uh, of the EU at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, the, the the treaties allow the member states to uh, to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, on this point, mm-hmm. but they haven't so far, mm-hmm. and we can and we can discuss why. But uh, but to me, EU citizenship is uh, is uh, a constant reminder of the unused potential mm-hmm. of not uh, bringing the foreigner down mm-hmm. by not allowing that pu- that person even to dream mm-hmm. of falling within properly falling within the scope of the law that governs the lives of all. But of all the Europeans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If I could now ask the last question, uh, a couple of days ago we published an interview with La EP about um, this, is, this is free. Exactly, exactly about free. This is a, a, a story of, of an um, Albanian, Albanian girl uh, who, who is uh, um, coming of age uh, and experiencing two ideas. Marxism uh, and, and, and real socialism and uh, liberalism. Uh, she wanted first to to write a book only about the ideas, but then then she realized that it's about that herself is also important. Yes, exactly. And here I wanted to ask you about 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 uh, your, your motivation for writing this book, uh, because I could imagine uh, that it it could be deeply personal. Also, of of a it could it could be a a story of a Russian boy coming to 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 to, to Hungary or to other European countries and and feeling uh, uh, the this discrepancy of of citizenships, especially at that time, uh, historical time when you came came to 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 Hungary. Um, 
but also I see other motivations in the book, other possible motivations. I could mention one, two of them. You tell me if they are more or less right or not. Um, one of them would be kind of a deeply rooted uh, Christian m- m- morality. Uh, you, you even cite from time to time uh, various um, uh, verses from, from from Bad Bible or the Saint Paul. And and the other one is, is, is of course uh, liberalism. This is more obvious. You 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 you, you openly say that. You, you you are you are uh, um, in in favor of, of the liberal, liberal democratic constitutional principles. So so out of these uh, three aspects, uh, what would be the, the, the most important motivation? Is it possible to to single out one uh, most important motivation, uh, or 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 not really? I think it's very personal in the sense that, and the motivations are personal in the sense that I was fortunate enough uh, to count among my friends. Uh, deeply impressive uh, thinkers who would not be necessarily from the first world Mm so-called. And when I speak with my Iraqi friends, with my Indian friends, with my Pakistani friends, etc., you see what I mean. I I hear first uh, a story of a deep deep engagement in, in the world of ideas, and second, uh, con- a constant attack by all the first world governments, as it were, because uh, because all these friends of mine I pr- are presumed to be second-rate human beings, and this uh, this attack starts at at every consulate, at the moment of every invitation to every con- to every conference, at every job interview. So in this sense. Uh, uh, Ironically, because uh, because the Soviet Union is probably uh, not not the space to speak about racism in these terms, uh, in part the book is, uh, is 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 motivated by the by the obscene prevalence of racism in, in still in our lives today. In this sense, uh, the empires they survive, and the second motivation is uh, is my deep suspicion of the state. And in this, and in this, I would uh, uh, absolutely be indistinguishable from from those friends I've just cited, uh, because uh, because the idea of reliance on the state and that the state is ha- and that the state would help you, this kind of uh, the, this kind of naive trust, uh, to me is uh, as as it works in practice, necessarily a racist masculine idea, because uh, because this is something that. Uh, those who were designed to be brought down by the state would never take seriously. Which means that if uh, if you are really a good citizen, and I, I give examples from the literature, someone who puts a swastika ornament on, on, on the Christmas tree, someone who becomes an Eagle Scout, someone who writes the correct poetry which the regime likes, uh, then you will have this picture of the state in, in, in your head. And in all the other cases, you won't. So I think uh, I think the majority of thinking people will be will be in the second category, while the majority of citizenship literature is in the first. And I try to I try to make a small survey for myself of who are actually the most cited citizenship scholars, and it's a, and it's a disaster. Not that I believe that you are overwhelmingly uh, hijacked in terms of the ideas that you would profess by your background, uh, but uh, I, I, I do believe that, that this is sometimes of relevance. 
And if we if we look at the at the most notable citizenship scholars, unless we we cite those who specialize specifically in the Gulf or specifically in Africa, etc., uh, these are all the people who who trust and glorify the state. Aristotle was an exception. He was a metic in Athens, and then and, and then from him on, this is a totally different story told by uh, totally different people. And uh, in 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 uh, my personal story. Uh, I was always told as a child that I lived in the Soviet Union and that the Soviet Union was forever, exactly like the Nazi children would uh, would be and uh, what what we are all told uh, when we grow up. And then when the Soviet Union disappeared and they received the Soviet passport uh, stamped Russian Federation without actually asking for it, that's when uh, the, the idea of Russianness obviously starts uh, for me. Although I, I I probably had difficulty embracing it to the full. Because uh, because all this ephemeral, seemingly ephemeral documentation, uh, which which pretends to guide our lives, in fact, in, in in the life stories of the majority of the population of the world, is is an obstacle rather than rather than a helping hand, and uh, precisely calling a spade a spade uh, has been the core motivation of uh, problematizing citizenship rather than glorifying it and keep and keeping on applauding it. So in this sense, I think. Uh, my project is very similar to Leah's. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. It, it was a great pleasure. Our guest today was uh, Professor uh, Dmitry Kochenov. Those of you who didn't read the book, uh, I hope that you know will be interested in, in, in reading it after after this conversation. It is a wonderfully written and very powerful story, so we, we recommend it to, to all our listeners, and uh, we hope to 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 talk with Dmitry soon again. Thank you so much. Thank you.